name's Rhiannon, and um, we're going to look at uh, possibly, oh, I'm just going to, oh, I've never been able to do that, move that without it falling over. Anyway, we're going to look at a verse or a few verses that are found in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2, and I've called this message today, is this the saddest verse in the Bible? I was going to call it the saddest verse in the Bible, but I thought that would be controversial and I thought too many people would come up and ask me questions. So I've covered myself by putting a question mark there. Uh, but I just want you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 2, verse 10. If you need notes, the Connect team are going around and they've got some spare notes. Um, but Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation, say another generation, another generation, that's the key, grew up that neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, that's the idols, the foreign gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. We can read that verse and say, well, that's probably kind of a little bit like what it's like to grow up in the 21st century, but you have to understand the context of this verse to appreciate why it is such a tragic verse. Because the generation that they're talking about when it says the whole generation had been gathered was an incredible generation in Israel's history. It was a generation that had taken possession of the promised land. Now, some of you will know your Bible, some of you perhaps won't, but if you've read the Bible or you've watched the Disney Prince of Egypt song, uh, film, which I personally love, you'll know the story of how God got his people out of Egypt. You see, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt and God said, enough, raised up a man called Moses who went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And then follows this long story of the Israelites coming out of slavery, coming out of captivity and wandering around the desert for many years. But God had promised them a promised land. They had a promise. And this generation that we're talking about here in Judges that has gone on, that has died, was the generation that actually went and took possession of the promised land. So they were the generation that saw the fruition of God's promise. What an amazing generation to be part of. To have this promise to, to perhaps have even been in the desert wandering around and then finally to say, this is my home, this is our land, this is the promise of God fulfilled. That was the generation that died. The generation that had seen miraculous provision of God. The generation that has seen enemies just fall because God says, actually, I want you here. That was the generation. So then when we read this verse that says the next generation didn't know God, we can think, well, you can't force anyone to know Jesus. And you can't, you know, I'm going to give you an opportunity later today to make a decision for Jesus, but I'm not going to force you because it's up to you. I can show you what I think is the right way and I can show you the Bible, but at the end of the day, the decision is in your hands. 
But that's the, not so much the bit of the verse that gets me. It's the bit that says, not only did they not know the God, they didn't know what God had done for Israel. They didn't know the amazing exploits that God had, had achieved through the people of Israel. And I'm thinking, what? How is that possible? How is it that you could have a whole generation come up under the, the, the parentage, if you like, or the, 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 the ancestry of people who went and inhabited the promised land? How on earth can you then have a generation that doesn't know God and doesn't even know what God has done for the people of Israel? I'm thinking, did they never speak to their kids? Did they never talk to their children about how they ended up here? I don't know about you, but my family is big on storytelling, particularly my mum's side of the family. They, they're really good. My mum's amazing at accents, and she can do any accent. She's quite a linguist, and um, my dad can just do one, which is Welsh, which is his own accent. That's it. Um, and I, I'm more on that level. I'm rubbish at accents. But we have got some family stories that I've heard so many times that have been embellished, I'm sure, over the years. And, and we, we just know them. And when we hear them, me and my brother often are like, oh, not this one again. Even Simon is like, not this story again. And, you know, he's not even been in the family that long. We, we've all got stories, haven't we? And I just wonder, what on earth went wrong here? Why are the children don't even know what God had done? Because we've all got stories within our family that we tell. I wonder whether the people of Israel, um, I wonder whether they just thought, you know, God will sort it out. God will sort it. We don't need to worry too much about it. Or maybe they thought, we are so far down in our faith journey now. We have seen so many miracles there's no way the next generation aren't going to walk in the things of God. Because, hey, we're just so far into the journey. But the thing that gets me is that this verse just tells us again that, that vision is, is about people. Vision is about people. See, we could be obsessed with buildings or obsessed with the promised land. So obsessed that we perhaps forget that God is a God that's interested in people. And that God's M.O., throughout the Bible, is people. It's interesting to me that God doesn't, and he could have done, just plonk a temple. Just say, hey, here's the temple, Solomon. You don't need to build it. Or he didn't go to Noah and say, hey, don't worry about building an ark. I'm just going to plonk an ark there, sorted. What he did was he called Solomon, and he called Noah, and he said, hey, now go build, because yet that ark's the tool, but the most important person is you that I'm investing in, you that I'm called. And that's what we see all the way through the Bible is that God raises up people. He raises up people, and he says, you know, I'm going to invest in you, and you're going to see a difference. But it's not about the building, and it's not about uh, the ark. They're just tools. What I'm interested in is the people. And that's why throughout the Bible, we've got these genealogies of such and such begot such and such begot such and such begot such and such. And you know, if we carried on the genealogy, you and I would be in it because we are part of that. That's our story. And that's the, the thread that links us all together. And that's why we can stand here and say, actually, it reaches back and it will reach forward into eternity, the purposes of God. See, God, he doesn't need us. The Bible says that the word, of the, God will, the word of God will never fail. That his purposes will always prevail. When God says something, it will be. When God says something, it will be. But see, here's the thing that we learn. God can work in spite of us, but his primary choice is to work through us. And I just wonder whether in 
Judges, because we read later in Judges how God has to raise up individual men and women like Deborah and Gideon to see a generation change because they'd forgotten their ancestry. And so we read in Judges later of this kind of really sad stories of, of a nation that had no anchor to their heritage. And so they were taken in by the nearest God and the nearest, um, you know, thing that might have attracted them and distracted because they had no anchor. And so it was almost as if God had to start afresh with each generation and raise up new people. But that's not God's plan A. God can do it because his purposes will prevail. His church, whether you want to be part of it or not, I believe will last because the Bible says he'll build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail it. But his plan A is that the church that is to come is going to be more successful than the church that is today because it's building on what has been built today. See, can you imagine the Israelites? They ended up back in slavery. They left Egypt as free people. But because they didn't grasp this generational thing, because they didn't grasp the importance of it, their children's children ended up in slavery again, fighting the same battles that should have already been won. And there's battles that you and I have fought in our faith. I don't want my kids to have to fight the same battles that I've fought. You know, that should be taken as their basis, their foundation. They should be building further on that. Isaac Newton says this, if I've seen further, it's because I have stood on the shoulders of giants. If I've seen further, it's because I have stood on the shoulder of giants. And I believe that that is what God was talking about when he says we will go from strength to strength. We will go from generation to generation because his plan A is to be a generational God, a God that is known from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. So I want us to talk a little bit about how can God work through us not in spite of us? How can we be generational in our thinking? How can we make sure that the church, that that the body of Christ is healthier when we leave than when we've come? What can we do? And I just want to share with you a couple of things. Uh, The first thing that I want to share with you is this. One of the keys, I believe, to being generationally focused is that you pass on your story. You pass on your story. In Revelation 12, it's a a famous verse, and it says this. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Another word for testimony is just story. The blood of the Lamb, Jesus, and the power of their story. See, the thing is, you and I sometimes can underestimate how important our story is, how important your story is. But one of the things that I've realized, if we want to see a generational impact, if we want to see generation after generation going at it for Jesus, then we've got to understand how important it is to share your story and share my story. See, people need to see what does it look like to live for Jesus? What does it look like? They need to hear the tales. They need to hear the things that are going to inspire them. They need to see the normalness of it all and how that hangs together with what God said. They need to see that naturally supernatural element. They need to hear your story. I just want to spend a little bit of time talking to parents. Now, I've been a parent, me and Si, I've been a parent for 16 months, so I'm not talking to you as an expert in being a parent but I've been a kid quite a lot longer. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about being an an expert kid, if you like. Can I say this to you? Do you know, 
sometimes I think we can fall into the trap that assuming because we bring our kids to a cool church, that that is going to ensure that they're going to stick to Jesus. I just want to say that to you. It's not. It's not. Coming to a cool church is not going to cut it long term. You know, a cool church might get people through the door. It might get them turning up on Sundays. But if we want longevity, then just having a cool church is not going to stick it for your kids. So if you're thinking, oh, I'm fine. I don't need to listen to this because my kids will be fine because they go to a trendy church. Then let me say this to you. You're misguided. Because how many of you are into the same cool things that you used to think were cool when you were 12? Probably none of you. Cool doesn't last Cool will not cut it when you're stood up against people. I remember one time when I was in an RE lesson and I went to a Christian school and I said, oh, well, I I believe that the Bible is true and I believe in Jesus. And I got absolutely ridiculed by my entire class. To be honest, even my teacher wasn't really that on board with any of it either. And I remember going home and thinking, what on earth has happened? See, I went to a cool church for the time. Um, But that wouldn't have kept me because suddenly it didn't look so cool. But what I did realize was that I knew my God and I knew that Jesus was true. And so if we're sitting there thinking, oh, it's fine. I got it covered. My kids go to a trendy church with lights and all that. Lights didn't save you. Coolness didn't save you. When the rubber hits the road with your kids, you need to know that they've got a personal revelation of Jesus and they've got a personal relationship with Jesus. So we can't just back off and say we're all sorted because our kids are at a funky church. It's not going to cut it. Only Jesus will keep them stuck. Only Jesus will keep them true. And when the chips are down, that's what they need to come back to. And that's why they need to hear your story. They need to hear you. We've got to step up and we've got to say, hey, let me tell you what happened. I just want to give you a couple of points that I think will help us when we're passing on your story and my story. The first thing I want to say is bore them. Bore them. You did hear me right. Bore them. One of the things I think we've got to do as individuals, and I'm not just talking to parents now, I'm talking to all of us, because we've all got a responsibility, I believe, for the generations to come, is we need to bore people with the stories of God's provision, God's favor, and God's breakthrough in our lives. Do you know, if I could tell you how many times I've heard the story of how my parents met Jesus, fell in love, and got married, I would be a millionaire. I feel like I was there living and breathing every moment. I've heard it so many times. Whenever it came up in conversation, me and my brother, if you've got siblings, you'll know this. You just give each other the look and think, oh, gosh, we're in for a good half hour here of this again, again. You know, and they, they always used to go, I don't know whether I've ever told you. I don't know why they prefix that. You've told, them, told us millions of times. I know the story. But, you know, they would tell us the story of how neither of them were Christians and they didn't have the most shiny life. Um, in fact, my mum, I remember when I was a teenager, sat me down and said, Rhiannon, you can always come and talk to me. And she said, I'm going to qualify that statement and say, there is nothing you could do that I haven't already done. She might look innocent, but she's had a bit of a rebellious past, my mum has. And so she used to say to me, there is nothing that you cannot talk to me about. There's nothing. So, so they would tell us this story and they would talk about how, you know, um, they were lonely and how um, just through a, a fluke circumstance, which wasn't a fluke round on, I tell you, it was the favour of God. This is, how it, this is how it always gets told. And how they got brought together. And then my dad really fancied my mum, but there was this nurse at the prison where my mum was working who had invited her to church. And so they 
had to go to church for their first date. Well, my dad was a Marxist, so that was a bit of an issue. And, um, and, but he went because he fancied my mum. And then basically, you know, this lady was so instrumental in bringing my, my parents to the Lord. And we call, we call her Grandma Jess now. We always have done. And this, that, I, I feel like I live and breathe through every single moment of that story. And some of you have perhaps got stories like that, but I tell you what it has taught me and what it's taught my brother is that there's been times when we have struggled. Has God got a plan? What's going on here, Lord? Will you work it for good? Can you do the miraculous? Can you bring individuals together from, from you know, the potteries and from Swansea? Can that even ever work? And yet God does do it. And so when we've had those moments in our lives, because those stories, we've been bored to tears with them, they become our stories. They become my story. They become what made me. My heritage owes so much to that lady that invited my mum to church. That's my story. And if it's my story, then maybe I can see it come again in my life. Maybe those memories can become realities in what I'm doing right now. Because I was bored of the story, it's got within me. You know, there's a, a preacher called Yonggi Chow who says he preaches every sermon something like seven times and he knows it's gone in when people are bored because he's like, now you've got it. Hey, please don't go to his church. <laughs> but we've got to bore people with the story. So maybe you haven't got a dramatic conversion story, but maybe you can talk to people about the time when you had no money and God dropped a check through your door. The time perhaps when you did something which made no sense at all and God came through for you. These are the stories that people need to be bored with, the next generation need to hear, so that we don't have a generation that rises up and has never heard of the good deeds of the Lord. You know, when they start joking and telling you back and bantering with you, that's probably when you know that they know the story. And when they're on their own and they've left home and they're thinking, what do I stand for? What do I believe? Then those stories will come back to them. So we've got to bore them with stories. The other thing that I think is really important to do is to involve them in your story, to involve them in your story. Now, obviously, there's some things that are not appropriate to bear all to your children. You're the parent, you're the adult. We don't have to share everything with our kids. But I do think sometimes we perhaps slightly look down on children and we think about not involving them in things. I remember talking to somebody after we'd had a few years ago a baptismal service and we must have had about 20 people respond and a high proportion of that were children. And somebody said to me, oh, well, that was good, but, you know, they were mainly kids, weren't they? And I said, what? And she really regretted saying that statement to me later because I was like, kids? I said, it's far better that somebody meets Jesus as a kid than have all the baggage that you've got, that they end up being, you know, having to have all this deliverance and healing. If they get it sorted at the age of five, they won't need all of that. Why are you saying that? Why are you looking down on the fact that somebody's become a Christian? Are you saying their soul's not worth as much as yours? Are you saying that actually they don't have the right that you have, that they don't understand? The Bible tells us to have a childlike faith. She didn't say that to me again after that. (laughs) But, you know, we've got to understand that kids, actually, God places a high emphasis on children. And and you've got to read that in the context of a society that was not interested in kids. So when he says have a childlike faith, that is hugely revolutionary. That's hugely revolutionary. But one of the things that I realized growing up was my parents would involve us a little bit in some of the things. So when my dad gave his job up to work for the church and um, in those times we were church planting and you didn't get a salary until your church was big enough to pay you basically and and the church started off with my dad so he wasn't going to pay himself um my mum and dad sat us down and said we've heard from god 
this is what we're doing. We don't have any money. Don't ask. Don't make it awkward. We're just going to have to pray that God comes through. But because they involved us in that, when we had a check, I remember a check one Christmas with £300, we were blown away by it. See, it wasn't really our story. It was their faith story. But they allowed us to come on the journey. So when the check came through, we understood that it was miraculous. When somebody came and delivered us loads of food, I'll never forget the lady that came and and gave us it all. Um, I realized that was a miracle. Now, otherwise, I might have just thought, oh, that's pleasant. But because I was allowed to be involved in their journey, because I was allowed to be involved in their story, I saw the miracles firsthand. And I saw how God had come through. So often, we don't do that. It's not appropriate for some things to involve kids with that, but the next generation. But maybe there's areas that you can say, hey, I need this. Can you pray for me? And then tell them when there's been a breakthrough. It will be so much more poignant. They'll see it. And when they're struggling, they'll come back and go, no, no. I've seen God break through in provision before. Because I remember when my parents were having problems that God came through. So maybe if he's done that before, he can do that for me. And this is how I think we start to pass on your story. Let me just say this as well. Don't leave it all to kids' church workers. You know, kids' church workers do a fantastic job. And when I think about my, uh, you know, kids' church workers, they left a lasting impact on my life. But you see your kids' church workers for 40 minutes a week. That is not enough. That is not enough. Don't assume that if we leave it to the kids' church, it'll all be fine. Oh, well, they go, they go to kids' church, so, you know, they must be hearing about Jesus. No, they need to hear what it is that you're talking about. I hope when you go home from today, you will sit around your table and you'll say, hey, what did you learn in kids' church? How did that make you feel? Was that tricky? Did you understand it? Did you find that difficult? Why did Jesus even do that? That's a bit of a weird thing to do. Would you have done that? We've got to take it beyond just the 40 minutes. You know, there's only so much we can do in 40 minutes, great as the team are. It's down to us. We can't step down and abdicate from responsibility. But the other thing that I want to say is, don't leave it to us parents. I don't know about you, but since becoming a parent, it's sometimes like having a mirror up in front of you of where you can't quite get to the mark sometimes. And you sort of see things and you think, is that from me? Um, Maybe that's just me. But I realized that actually I'm not adequate to meet our little girl's spiritual needs. I need people around me. I need more people. I need other people who are going to look out for her and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, how are you getting on at school? Hey, how's this going on? I need her to realize it's not just something her parents do. It's something that everyone here does, that it's normal. I need her to hear your story because your story is going to be different from our story. And maybe her story might be slightly more similar to your story. So she can get some solace and encouragement from your story. You see, as, as parents, we, we're not equipped to deal with everything. Even psychological research would say that from the age of six, boys in particular need role models beyond just their parents. So when they're looking, they're hungry and crying out for people who can share your story. So this isn't just for parents. This is for all of us to say, your story matters. Your story is important and it can make a difference to the generations. So we've got to learn to pass on your story and my story. The other thing that I want to say to you is we have to pass on our story. In Psalm 145, it says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your words 
They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom, because your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. His rule and his dominion endure through all generations. If you're not sure what our story is, that's our story. Our story is that we are part of something that stretches back that way and stretches into eternity. We are part of something that is the only true hope for this earth. We are part of something that is huge. We are part of the church, which I believe is the body of Christ, that is the outworking of God's purposes on earth. That is what we are part of. If you're wondering what our story is, then we, that is it. And we've got to not just tell our own individual stories, so that the individual can make sense of their lives and see how God could work in their lives. But we need to tell them, but hey, there's a story that you need to get your individual story involved with because you were meant to be part of our story. You were meant to be part of the collective story. You were meant to bring your story into the whole. You were meant to make a difference because our story is incredible. You know, even if we just think about our story as C3, we are sat in a promised land. Your bottom is on a chair that we weren't at one point sure we would even be able to afford. That chair is a miracle of provision. This building is a miracle of provision. We've got a story to tell. Even if you can't get your head around the worldwide, you know, eternal purposes of God, you can get your head around this. And you can start to say to people, let me tell you what happens when a group of people believe God wants the city to be better. When a group of people say God wants his name to be glorified. Let me tell you what happens when people sacrificially give. Let me tell you what happens when people double tithe. Let me tell you what happens when people bring their all into the church. This is what happens. And it's not a building. It's what happens on Friday when people come in from the outside and find a home. It's what happens on Friday night when youth come and find a home. It's what happens midweek. It's not just this building. It's the lives that matter because God's MO is people. And that is why we do what we do. You know, I've got a picture of Brooke and I on opening day of this, and I cannot wait to tell her because this is her normal. This is what she's like Ben Cooley was saying, complacency. She doesn't remember the toilets of St. Bede's. She doesn't remember the pull-up banners that we had everywhere, which were the blight of my life. She doesn't remember any of that. This is her normal. But I can't wait to tell her that it hasn't always been our normal and that God changes your normal, but you can be part of it. I can't wait to tell her that because we're part of something amazing. Our story is incredible. And the next generations and the generations to come need to hear our story. They need to hear what they're part of. You know, we're going to give you on the way out a cinnamon network uh, audit uh, leaflet, really, that just shows you a taster of some of the things that we're starting to do in the city. That's our story. You might not have had a, a part directly in it, but you can go and start telling other people, this is our story. Let me tell you what the church does when it's working right. It reaches the poor. It makes families better. It changes hearts. It changes mindsets. It makes people better off. It gives people purpose. It lifts depression, mental health. will go. That is what the church is. And that is the story that we have got to tell people. So if you're thinking my story is not great, well, your story is a collective and our story is immense. And one of the things we've got to do to ensure generational impact is share our story. Our story. The other thing that we've got to do, the final thing, Once we've shared our personal stories, once we've bored them with the stories of breakthrough, and once we've shared about the purpose of the church and the purpose of the body of Christ and how they can fit into it, 
is we've got to start to help them find their story. We've got to help them find where they fit in it. Where they fit. And I love the scripture in Acts 2, which is kind of mimicked again in Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. For me, that's a picture of what church and the body of Christ should look like. It should have all the generations within it and be mindful of the generations to come. And so one of the things that we need to do as individuals that are in the now generation is to be thinking, how can I help others that are coming up or others that don't even yet exist find their story? And that sounds so easy, doesn't it? It sounds really obvious to say, well, the next thing is to help them find their fit. But, but, you know, the thing is, it gets back to that quote from Newton that says, if I see further, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. The thing is, we've got to be okay with the fact that the next generation should achieve more than we've achieved. We've got to be okay with the fact that our kids should build a better church than we've built. We've got to be okay with the fact that maybe they might fulfill some of the vision that we longed to fulfill but haven't seen fulfilled. Why? Not because God has anointed them more necessarily, but because they're standing on the ground and on the building, if you like, that we have already built. They're not having to fight the battles we had to fight. They've got different ones. Those battles have been fought. And so helping them find their story sounds easy, but actually it can really get at us a little bit. And I think it's because... You know, I don't think I'm ever going to fulfill everything that God has got for me on my life and all the vision that I have. I don't anticipate I'm always I'm going to fulfill all of that. I don't think I'm going to get to my deathbed and go, well, job done. I did everything I set out to do and I did it at 65. So I was able to claim my full pension. Isn't that great? I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think that's how God works. Because right the way through the Bible, we see people who have massive visions and they don't see the full fruition of it. Hebrews 11, you read it, where they don't see the full, uh, the full thing of it. Because actually, I believe God gives you excess vision sometimes so that you can have an overlap with the next generation. So that you can say to them, hey, you're standing, here's what I see, but you're a bit higher up than me. So maybe you can start from where I've left off. But hey, run the race further. And the problem is when we start to get a little bit insecure and feel like, but I haven't got myself sorted yet and I haven't got that. We're robbing people of actually being able to run further than we can run. And we've got to see it's not a personal thing, it's a generational thing. And that is exactly as it should be. That our battles shouldn't have to be fought again, that somebody else can come and start from where we've finished. And that's why I believe that there's always going to be an overlap of vision. So I will be able to say to my kids, if you like, hey, here's what we wanted to do with our family. But we haven't been able to achieve it all. But maybe you can start from where we've left off. And hey, let's see if we can do it even further. And when we're thinking of church, that's what we want to do as well. We want to say to the kids that are coming up in kids' church, hey, I hope you're going to be a way better worship leader than I've been because maybe I've taught you some stuff that you can then, that's your foundation, that's your basis. But we have to be okay with having the two run alongside each other. We have to be okay with saying, hey, I'm going to give some opportunity for that person. And they might be better than me, but that's God's plan A. His plan B is that you hold them back that they become a generation that doesn't know who God is or what he did. And he's got to start all over again. And then everything we've done anyway is wasted. The other way is a win-win situation. 
I just wonder if the band can come up right now for me. I'm going to tell you a story that's one of my boring stories that I've probably told many times. When I was growing up, we were in a, a little home group for kids, and there was about half a dozen of us that used to meet at half past six on a Friday night around Jim and Mary's. And they used to just treat us as if we could hear from God, and they didn't even kind of think, oh, we were kids. They didn't put pressure on us. It wasn't a, an external pressure. It was just an assumption that, hey, God can speak to anyone, and he can speak to you. And I remember one day they asked my brother Rich, my younger brother, to come and lead worship. The only problem with leading worship for Richard was that he couldn't play any instruments and he couldn't really sing and uh, he didn't even have an instrument. So he got his mate Joel's drum pad, which was really budget, but it had on it a little pre-programmed thing that you could just press play. So he pressed play and he sang this song about Jesus, but it didn't fit the rhythm at all. And he didn't understand about syllables. So what he did was he would just add in extra syllables to the words. So he would say G-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-E-
I'm okay with giving up bits of my story so that they can run further because I want them to stand on my shoulders, see further than I can see. I just wonder if I can ask you to just stand. I'm really aware that there might be some people here that when I read that verse that said they didn't know Jesus, they didn't know God, sorry, or the things that he's done for them, perhaps you identified with that. Perhaps you're saying, okay, so Rhiannon, you've told me a few of the things and I've seen in worship a few of the things that God has done for me. How do I know him? I want to know him. Or maybe you've walked away from God and you're saying, I want to come back and I want to know him again. We're going to sing a song in a minute and then I'm going to come up and give you an opportunity to say, yeah, I want to know Jesus. I want to know how he's going to change my story. I want to be part of this massive story that you've talked about, Rihanna, and I want my life to count for generations. I want to make a difference. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But right now, I just want you to bow your heads, and I just want you to take a moment. And I'm talking to Christians here. I just want you to have a moment's thought of perhaps some stories in your life that you've laid to one side or you've forgotten about. Maybe a check that came through or a job that happened that you never thought would happen. Maybe you met your partner and you never thought you would. I just want you to have a moment to think about what your story looks like. And maybe to just remind yourself of the incredible story that we're on as a church. Both as a church here and as the church globally. Our story is amazing you are part of it. Your story is our story. We're all in it together. I just want to give people an opportunity today to just say afresh, for you that are Christians, to just say afresh, I'm bringing my story into the bigger story. I'm going to be somebody who lives generationally. I want to be somebody who sees generations go from strength to strength. I'm okay with not being the best. I want to see the next generation even better than me. I'm okay with that. I'd love to pray with you if that's you. If you just want to say, yeah, I'm going to do this. Perhaps I need to set aside some of my angst or some of my pride. And I'm going to say, I'm going to invest in the generations to come. I just want you to pop your hand up and put it back down again so I can just see you, so I can pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I just want to pray for the individuals here that have responded. Lord, I pray right now over the next few weeks that you would remind them of their story, that you would give them such a passion, God, that you would remind them of where you've turned up, God, where you've intervened, where there's been miracles, where there's been provision. I pray that it would burn it within them. And God, I just pray that for those of people here who have said, I want to commit to the next generation and the generations to come after that, I pray, God, that you would just give them such clarity. Lord, any insecurities that they've got, let them be gone. Lord, if they're worrying about, but what will happen to me? Let them realize you are no man's debtor. And God, as we give, you give so much more back. And Lord, I just pray for these people. Oh God, if they all really walked in this, I totally believe this church and this nation and this city could be changed. If we really grasp that you want things to just get better and better and stronger and stronger, God, what a difference our city and our nation could be in. And we just pray favour, opportunity and boldness over these people that have responded today. Amen. Let's sing this song and then I'm going to give you an opportunity 
later just to pray, to ask Jesus to come into your life and to get to know him on a different level.